Peace to the planet Earth. Adisa Banjoko, live and direct. You know what it is. FarsideTV.com, BishopChronicles.com. You know what I'm saying? Worldwide, West Side, forever. Uh, extending from last week, right? You know that I've been recovering from this MRSA staff situation. Um, it's almost gone. It's like 95%. Still kind of recovering in terms of like sleep, though. It's been very hard to sleep um, with this last infection. And so um, if you're hearing this message, what it really means is I'm gone. It means not dead. I'm not dead. I hope not. Mike, if I die, listen, if I die, Mike, um, basic ass burial, cheapest coffin, cheapest whatever, right? Maybe talk to Daoud over at Zaytuna, right? Handle the right. I, I like quick though. And 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 not expensive. And if any gets if anybody gets up and speaks, they have to roast me. I need my funeral to be a roast, or it's not cool. And if you don't roast me, you didn't know me. That's all I'm saying. All right. So anyway, um, I just wanna, <laughs> I just want to say I'm probably overseas working on some new Bishop Chronicles episodes that you'll hear soon. And it is important for me to share this particular episode with you because of the times. And you'll understand what I'm saying in just a minute. This is going to be very short. I'm not going to do all my normal stuff. Um, however, I do want to give a quick shout out to my man Scott Nelson from uh, Chipsa Hospital in in Mexico. Scott Nelson, man, uh, also known as Scotty from Gumby and Scotty or Scotty and Gumby at onthemat.com. Uh, Scotty is an old school jujitsu film guy and we used to train together at Half Gracie's and now he runs Chipsa Hospital in Mexico. And you know what they did? I talk about fight philanthropy all the time, right? Where martial artists, irrespective of the style, use their art to enrich the community. And more on that is going to be coming with me and Rob Nasty. Okay, real soon. But what I'm telling you is um, Scotty started getting into health stuff. And basically, Scotty's helped create uh, a, a cancer research center and a place where they help people rid themselves of cancer and other um, hardcore illnesses. That's all I'll say. And he teamed up with Anderson Silva in the UFC and Fabricio Werdum, also fighter of the UFC and trainer of many champions. Both of them are. And they helped get some money together to help this young man get the treatment he needed. I don't know if you've ever lost anybody to cancer, but I have. And I don't know if you've ever um, had to face it yourself. Or you have family members. I'm sure almost everyone has a family member that's been affected by cancer. Look, Chips is doing great work. You should look into what they're doing. Um... Look into what they're doing. I'm so honored and grateful to know Scotty, you know, just like I am with Gumby, you know what I'm saying? Just like I am with all my good friends who help heal the communities that they live in through their martial arts and through things beyond martial arts, right? Because what Chips is doing is really beyond martial arts, but martial artists are able to support. So much love and respect to Anderson Silva, who I've never met, but hope to one day. And same thing with Fabricio Werdum. Okay, now I want to uh, run into something that's really cool. There's a guy on Instagram, at, the real Jake Nova 
at the real Jake Nova, just like it sounds. And you know, I encourage people to ask me questions, to talk about hip hop and chess, and talk about jujitsu and 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 martial arts and things like that. And so um, he asked me a really cool question. He said, if if you took chess pieces and you had to line them up by belt rank, what would they be? You know. So I sat and I thought about it, and you know, um, look, not tooting my own horn, just stating facts. Like Hip Hop Chess Federation is the first org to put music, chess, and martial arts together to promote unity, strategy, and nonviolence. It's what we've done for a long time since 2006. Okay, um, and we're the ones to show how hip hop um, and jujitsu and hip hop and martial arts in general and and chess and martial arts and chess and hip hop are connected. We we do this. Okay, it's 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 been my obsession. Okay, and of course there's other people who can appreciate it. And so you know there's been different brands o- over the years. When I first started talking about chess and um, Jiu-jitsu, some people used to laugh, and then they started looking in the books by Jean-Jacques Machado. When you see references, you you start seeing every time, almost every time you see the UFC now, someone mentions any given fighter as as being in sort of a chess match from whatever position they're in, or psychologically. The, see, people are starting to see it all the time. And I'm not saying that I invented the idea that they would be cre- related because you can just be a human being doing this stuff and see it. But digging into it, digging into the history of it, really trying to connect these, cross-connect these cultures here, these subcultures. So <clears throat> let's get into this um, outline real quick. So if you are a jiu-jitsu white belt, you are a pawn. Why? Because you're just going to go forward and try to do whatever you think is best. But you're not really going to know what the heck you're doing. You'll have a little angle, so you might take to your right or take to your left. But that's what just what it means, okay? Also, remember, that beginning journey means that you have all the potential. If you continue to go forward to get to the other side, it means that you can evolve. Like my boy uh, Sean McClure said, you, 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 know, you evolve into a queen, the most powerful piece, okay? So it's an honor to be a white belt. Just so you know, I know a lot of people sometimes they feel less than or other people who are sometimes higher belts or your friends and family. Oh, you're just a white belt. It's a beautiful thing to be a white belt. Um, Blue, the knights, if you're a blue belt, knights, right? Because knights, they move in an L formation and it's hard to understand the way that they're going. And you usually don't know that you're in a bad position with a knight until you're getting taken, right? Or trapped and pushed back. Um, I like that because knights, they know what they're doing, they're calculating, they're on point, but they're also not as loose. A lot of a lot of blue belts are really rigid and stiff. And I know when I haven't been practicing that much because I'm stiff. When I'm soft and I'm pliant, malleable, one of my friends always uses that word. Um, yeah, knights are blue. Purple are bishops. Because when I became a purple belt, it's when I really started to see my angle of attack, right? You got your dark squared bishops, you got your light squared bishops, right? I don't like hitting people straight up. That's not the easiest way to get somebody down, especially if you're trying to take them down. You got to hit those angles. Then you got to hit the psychological angles. Then you got to hit the positional angles that you know that X opponent isn't prepared for and know how to switch up angles you know what i mean um brown are the rooks right there's something about rooks and guard passing 
that that relates to me. I, I don't know what that is, but there's something about rooks and guard passing that that relates to me. And I feel like when you when you're at brown belt level, that's when you're pretty good at passing guards. You're pretty good at heavy pressure. You're pretty good at going straight up. You know. Because sometimes even though you don't want to go head up, you got to go head up, right? I just talked about the purple belt situation. I like angles. Sometimes there ain't no angle. You got to go head up. And that reminds me of the rooks. Black would be the queen, right? Because she is the most powerful. Um, she is an evolved pawn, as stated earlier. And um, I think that's a beautiful thing. And finally, the king is the red belt. The king is the red belt. Because the king has all this knowledge, but because of their age, you know, they're obviously not as strong and explosive as they were at white, blue, purple, and brown, right? And even as a black belt. But the beauty of the red belt, and the reason why I say red is the king, is also because the red belt is the one who isn't just, you know, good at technique or whatever, but they've trained other black belts. They've enriched their community. They've passed on the tradition so much. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. And so I wanted to thank at the real Jake Nova for that question. And if you have any questions, hit me up at Bishop Chronicles, right? Uh, please follow me there and also follow me at um, Real Hip Hop Chess, at Real Hip Hop Chess. And feel free to hit me up there uh, and ask me anything about hip hop chess or martial arts. And I'll always try and, and answer your question. Absolutely. So shout out to Jake for that. Also, don't forget that on um the real hip hop chess uh one we have uh if you send me a picture of you playing chess doing martial arts any style um or any aspect of hip hop that I will um that I will will repost it and tag you hashtag hip hop chess army when you guys are doing this stuff man please tag hashtag hip hop chess please use hashtag hhcf you know what i mean Cause I want to see you guys playing and doing stuff and having fun with hip hop. If you if you're an artist and you in the booth or you got a dope clip of you dancing or, or or a graffiti piece, not even if it deals with chess or not, just something that's dope, send it to me at Real Hip Hop Chess. I will repost and you will be a part of the Hip Hop Chess Army because it's growing. So now, without any further ado, I'm just gonna get off, man. Um, this is uh, something about Tupac. Tupac was a friend of mine. Uh, a, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of y'all know that. Um, so, some of you don't. Some of you have seen the picture. If you want to look it up, Adisa Tupac in Google, it'll pop up. That's from the first day that I met him through my homie Ray Love. Um, but this particular talk that you're about to hear is about Tupac and military strategy. It's about Tupac and the impact that Niccolo Machiavelli, uh, author of The Prince and The Art of War, not the Sun Tzu Art of War, he had his own Art of War, but I've spoken about this before, the best thing I've ever seen Niccolo Machiavelli write. Because if you read The Prince, you'll like it, but he writes in kind of a long-winded, flowery fashion. But what you'll find is that he wrote about a guy named Castruccio Castracani. I need to do a show just about Castruccio Castracani. It's the best thing he ever wrote. Anyway, Tupac was a great reader. He read more than any other rapper I've ever known, and that's why he has vaults of music and other people who claim to be dope or say they want to be like Tupac stay pretty ignorant. They don't stay well read, and they're not dedicated to their art, and that's why he stands alone in hip-hop. He stands alone, and that's why people talk about, oh, Biggie was more lyrical, blah, blah, blah. First of all, I don't even agree with that. West Coast, for real. Man, 
Pac was way more diverse than Big on hella levels. And I'm going to just leave it like that. I could get granular, but I'm not going to. Just because I know some of you people are punching your steering wheels and yelling, especially if you out there in the five boroughs. You know what I mean? I don't care, blood. West Coast. Uh, Tupac was better than Big, period. Uh, but Big was hella dope, and I'm never going to front on that either. Um, what I'm saying, though, is that I'm writing about Tupac um, and speaking about Tupac from the day he goes to jail, uh, essentially until the day, until when he gets out and he starts working with Death Row. And you're going to see the strengths and weaknesses um, of what he took from Machiavelli. Uh, and you're also going to see how as good as he was with using Machiavelli's uh, strategies and tactics that he still lacked some things that may have cost him his life in the end. And um, this was a hard thing for me to, to break down. But I think that you will learn from it. And the reason I'm giving it to you now is because we live in treacherous times. We live in times of war, not just whatever Trump may be talking about with Iran or what 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 China is doing to the Muslims, right? Uh, outside of the coronavirus, you know what I'm saying? I think in the end we're going to find that all the Muslims who are on those concentration camps, the three million of them, I'll bet you they're all going to be dead from coronavirus by the time we start to look back at them, because the world keeps trying to pretend that they don't exist, that they don't exist. Uh, and I'm never going to forget the Chinese Muslims right now who, who are being uh, held in concentration camps and the women who are being abused and the children who are being separated from their parents and the fathers who are being tortured and beaten. I'm never going to let you forget them because we're America and we can do better to help others, right? We can do better. Um, and so uh, this particular uh, episode is special to me. Um, I'm going to write much more in depth about this very topic soon and, and, and you should see something manifested on that. I am finishing my book. That's part of why uh, I'm not really uh, doing a regular episode. I'm finishing my book uh, while I'm overseas uh, and you should see my book coming soon, um, A Dead Man's Diary, The Birth and Death of Jason Parker. So look into that. Uh, I'll have more soon. A Dead Man's Diary is coming and... Um, you know what, man? I'm just going to let you hear this talk, man. And please know that now is the time to be getting strategic. Now is the time when people are desperate. And, and because people are desperate, violence is going to be higher. People are going to be more angry. People are going to be more ir irritable. These are going to be yourself. These are going to be your family members, even your kids maybe, right? Your coworkers. So let's work on being more patient with ourselves and patient with other people. It's a very stressful time. People are scared with good reason, right? Coronavirus over here, wars over there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I got my masks, my N95 mask. You better get an N95 mask. Um, that's what we're dealing with now. That's what we're dealing with now. Um, stay safe. Love yourself. Defend your smile. You know, like your smile is like a, a fingerprint of the soul, Nobody in the world smiles like you. You ever look at twins and they take a picture together? They smile different. God gave you the only smile he gave you and nobody else. So you have to defend your joy. You have to defend your inner peace. Even if you're having a bad day, there's beauty in that day. You got to find it. Even if your heart is hurting or your heart is dark, there's a corner. You preserve that corner. You preserve your joy. I'm, I'm really serious. Your mind too. Okay? I'll talk to you much more when I get back. I look forward to it. Okay? You're about to learn how Niccolo Machiavelli, an Italian philosopher, warrior, and strategist, and politician, 
changed the course of hip-hop forever after one rapper read his work. This is Farside TV. This is Bishop Chronicles. Stay blessed. Stay strong. Hold to your diet. Strengthen your mind and be mentally and physically disciplined because these times call for that. And the people who can't do that will die out. And even some of those that do will. So focus up for the common good. Stay blessed. So in order to really look at this thing around Tupac, we are not going to look at his whole life. We're going to look at his life from essentially the day he goes to jail, which is crazy because he starts at in prison on Tuesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, Clinton Max Penitentiary. While most young adults are buying flowers for their girls and going on dates, Tupac was entering prison. And it was shortly after that that Me Against the World dropped. And he's actually the first artist ever to have a number one album while in prison. It's really crazy, right? So Tupac was inmate number 95-A-1140. And if you knew anything about Tupac before his rise to fame, you already knew that his aunt was Asada Shakur. You already knew about his Panther family backgrounds. And you knew that for a lot of people in his family, unfortunately, going to jail was in some ways like a rite of passage. And in other ways, it was almost a guarantee. In fact, if you look recently, there was something I saw that basically said that a lot of what happened in Tupac was orchestrated by the United States government as an extension of COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program meant to undermine black organizations, as an extension also of Black Pro, okay, which was another uh, op that was ran in the government, you know. And I just want to say that, like, if we knew for a fact that there was something called like Jew pro or Mexican pro, like America would be up in arms, but this government can make something like COINTELPRO, make something like Black Pro, and we just go on with our lives. Like it ain't no thing. You know what I'm saying? Now, am I saying that the government killed Tupac? I don't know. I have my own thoughts on who killed Tupac. Maybe the government was involved. Maybe they weren't. What we do know is that this government has been actively undermining black political and economic success for a long time. You know, one of the things that you had to understand when you're looking at Tupac Shakur, one of the things that I tell a lot of the kids that I go speak to in the juvenile halls is that intelligence without discipline is a curse. I don't care what gifts you have. If you are not disciplined, whatever you have will ultimately be a curse for you because you won't do anything with it and you'll go on to do other bad things and, and you will crash and burn, man. You know? And the one thing that Tupac had was lyrical discipline. Lyrical discipline. Artistic discipline. 
He poured his heart into his art wholly. You know? So Tupac was convicted of first-degree sexual abuse and acquitted of the weapons charges and sodomy charges that, that originally came to him. And he was given between one and a half to four and a half years in prison. Thing that I remember about Pac is that he always maintained his innocence. You know, he never, he never, he never said that he did what he was accused of, especially on that sodomy thing. He said that he was irresponsible with those he kept around him and that that put him in a situation that ended up having him go to jail. So, you know, he had strong family ties in the prison system and he had his own personal sense of boldness and he wasn't going out cheap. You know what I'm saying? So he was safe from inmates, but apparently when he got there, he had a really hard time with the COs. They antagonized him a lot. They did a lot to make his days tough, his nights tougher. And I'm sure a lot of it had to do with just, you know, how much he he talked about police and his rhymes. So I'm sure that wasn't shocking to him. And it was inside the safety and the silence of jail that Tupac does what most men do. He starts reading. He starts being introspective. You know, I remember seeing a talk with um, Sonia Sanchez. She's just an amazing poet and historian. And she said, one of the good things about prison for black men was that it was the first time they are allowed to be still and think. It's so true. It's so true. It is then and only then that they have the stillness and the time to read on their own, to think on their own, to not be consistently bombarded with the social construct of white supremacy consistently raining down on the black man's mind, heart, and self-esteem, on the black man's woman, heart, and self-esteem. And he can't think right. He can't see himself right. He can't see her right. He can't see humanity for all that it is. I was just talking with a friend from the UK and we were talking about the viciousness of American racism, specifically as it pertains to black people, specifically black men. It's very tough. And it was during that time, this introspective time, this time of of research and reading. And you got to remember, he was a voracious reader before he went in. So now that he has all this time to write and read, it it should have made sense to anyone that he was going to elevate the bar to a way higher level. And so his friend Wendy Day comes by and brings him The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli. It's a book on strategy, how to lead. In many ways, though, What's in the Prince is information on how how to be bad. Meaning that sometimes life demands that you be rowdy and you don't want to be rowdy, but you got to be rowdy. So Niccolo Machiavelli was born May 3rd, 1469. He died June 21st, 1527. He is most known for the Prince, but my personal favorite work of his is um, this piece called uh, The Life of Castruccio Castracani of Luca, L-U-C-C-A. That piece of work is fantastic. Much better than The Prince, in my opinion. But nevertheless, 
Here we have Niccolo Machiavelli. He's a historian. He is a poet, a diplomat, a philosopher, a writer, okay, who is generally given and recognized as the founder of modern political science and political ethics, you know. Um, he was, for many years, an official in the Florentine Republic, uh, and he had both diplomatic and military responsibilities. In 1512, after suffering imprisonment and torture, he retired to his farm in San, I always, I don't even know if I say this, San Cassiano, where he lived with his wife and he had six children. And he really dedicated himself to writing when he got out. And um, that's where he wrote print, The Prince, The Discourses, um, and The Art of War, and uh, a comedy called uh, The Man, Mandragola. And it was a satire on seduction. So, um, yeah, he was he was an amazing dude. He was an amazing dude. Um, you know, there was a rap group from the West Coast called Self Scientific. Shout out to Chase Infinite. Um, he had a song called Live and Breathe. You should listen to that song. That's a really good song. It's on YouTube. Um but he has this line in there where he says, it's the jealous one's envy surrounded by fake friends and real enemies. Yo, Tupac, man. He, he felt he could trust few people. He had to be more self-reliant. But he needed a mentor. And Niccolo Machiavelli became his mentor in jail from the grave through this book. So, Tupac also read Sun Tzu's Art of War, but the art of war is a lot more esoteric. It takes time. You got you to gotta soak it up. The language isn't as plain. And so little by little, from his death, Machiavelli coached Tupac on how to deal with B.I.G., how to speak in the press, and how to be and appear stronger on all levels. Right? We all know that classic thing. Is it better to be loved rather than feared or feared rather than love? It might perhaps be answered that we should seek to be both. But since love and fear can hardly exist together, if we must choose between them, it is safer to be feared than loved. But why would anybody fear Tupac, right? I mean, this dude is like 5'11", you know what I'm saying? 170, right? He needed an army, and war is expensive. How was he going to get that army together? He needed money. More than that, he needed to make sure that his next album was better than the last one that he dropped. And, 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 and Me Against the World was fire. He couldn't come out being seen as someone that jail broke or made weaker, like he was out of the game. He needed to be harder and more lyrical. But how? Now, quick flashback to Niccolo Machiavelli. When Niccolo Machiavelli walked out of jail, the first thing he did is he got the finest robes and outfits. He ate the best food. And he looked better when he came out than when he went in. It was more of a reminder to his enemies, though. A reminder that he was still doing very well, despite their hatred of him. A reminder that he was still royal in his essence, and they could never take that no matter what else they took. 
And no matter how else they tried to hurt him, they didn't take his raw essence. From negotiating on weakness. This is an important part of Tupac's life and and Niccolo Machiavelli's life. Machiavelli taught that if you're not in a position of power and you negotiate any treaty with anybody, that that negotiation and those terms only exist until you get your power back. And that once you had your power back, you were no longer any obligations to whatever the terms of the treaty are. Because you weren't negotiating, you weren't negotiating from a place of balance and power when you made that deal. So, after talking with Death Row, he had an opportunity. I want a house for my moms. That's what he told Death Row's attorney, David Kenner. I want a house for my moms. Isn't it beautiful how he always looked out for moms off top? And so David Kenner, who actually served as both attorney for the artist and the label at the same time, a clear conflict of interest. Anybody who knows anything about law or business knows that's not right. He drew up a a contract, a handwritten three-page contract is what he signed to get on death row. And his attorney, Tupac's attorney, Charles Ogletree said, it was only because he was in prison that he signed it. It's the only reason. On October 12, 1995, Tupac boards a private jet to Tarzana, California. Suge Knight did what he had to do to get him out. And Pac immediately went shopping, got the best clothes, cars, food, money could buy, popping champagne. His goal was to make Death Row bigger than Snoop and Dre had made it. Keep in mind, it was already almost worth half a billion dollars at that point. And Tupac was using the mirror strategy at this point. The mirror strategy is important because it's when people reflect your vibes, your words. They speak like you speak. They dress like you dress. They do what you do. And they do that to survive. Sometimes people do that in marriage and later they'll betray you. Sometimes people do that in business and then they try to take your company or go create their own that's ironically just like yours. Um, At that time, you know, South Central was super real. Death Row was no joke. Suge Knight was a hands-on kind of dude. And so there was only going to be one way to really do this Death Row thing right. And that was he had to jump in the mix, fresh out of the clink, and be hard like Suge was hard. And so what he was doing is he was mixing this mirror strategy and this polarity strategy. Again, the mirror strategy is to act like those around you in their presence. And as small as he was physically, Pac was energetic and unafraid. He wasn't afraid to swing on fools. So he became hands-on like Suge. He was running around kicking up dust, you know what I'm saying? And Suge did not trust many people, but he trusted Pac because Pac really did mirror his hands-on kind of lifestyle strategy. So for now, 
between his need for money and an army to get back at Big and Puffy, this was exactly what he needed. And so there it is. You know what I'm saying? He begins his 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 rise, man. And he starts taking over the game really majorly. And anybody who remembers that time, who was alive during that time, you remember like when Pac got out and people started hearing Cali Love and they started seeing him out there, man, like, yo, it was different. Everything was different. And let's talk about this polarity strategy because this is what he did. He used the mirror strategy inside death row, outside of death row. He used the polarity strategy. To learn about the polarity strategy, you can just read The 33 Strategies of War by Robert Greene, popularized by a guy named Xenophon um, back in 401 BC. Here's how the book reads. The more clearly you recognize who you do not want to be, who you do not want to be, then the clearer your sense of identity and purpose will be. Without a sense of that polarity, without an enemy to react against, you are lost. Now, he was talking in 401 BC about the Persians. Persians had a specific kind of culture. And look, we are Greeks. This is how we get down. This is what we do. They are nothing like us. Right? What did Tupac do? West Side Outlaw Mortals, you know how we do. Blah, 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 blah. Yay. Yes. Yes. Highlighting the weather, the clothing, the cars, the lifestyle of the West, polarizing it against the East and giving nobody any middle ground. So in order for him to be safe, he had to draw a clear distinction of who his enemies were and who he was. He needed to highlight their differences geographically, philosophically, uh, linguistically, the, the, the slang that we use out here in the Bay and on the West Side. His dress code, all of it, he chose to glorify the West. When I said that, I looked up to the sun. Let's do it together. He did that all to glorify, raise your head. The West. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, there was nobody who could be in the middle, bruh. In the middle. Nobody. Okay? So, you know, part up, up under this umbrella of polarity, he brought that bomb first strategy. Bomb first. Okay? Um, obviously, he was upset about the shooting that happened at the Quad Recording Studios And, you know, while in prison, though, there were a lot of rappers who said things against him while he was tucked away, knowing that, you know, uh, he couldn't get to them. Okay, So Pac made this Dog Illuminati album. Seven Day Theory. All right. Now, who was he mad at? He was mad at Big Puff Nas. Mob Deep, Jay-Z, Fuji's and Lauren Hill. They were all on his hit list, bro. He was not having it in this zone. Um, he was on the streets talking to West Coast artists all the time about the importance of unity against all the East Coast artists, right? And this is something I need to, to put the pause on because you know I repped that W. I'm throwing it right now. It's two inches from the mic. Eh, more like five inches. But... 
You know I rep that West, bro. You know I keep my khakis hella crease. You know I got my house shoes, corduroy, boy. White tee, crispy. You know what I mean? Come on, man. Now, one of the things that I know, because I knew Pac, and I know how sensitive he was as a human being, because he gave real love. I'm I'm still a believer, and I may have said this before, that, that Tupac was an empath. I believe he was an empath. One of the reasons I know that unlike a lot of people on the on the East Coast who talk crazy about Pac or try to act like he wasn't as deep or as dope as he is, is looking at his polarity session, his life from the point where he got out and started rocking with Death Row, they really ignore how much he honored New York before then. And if anybody got anything to say about that, I want you to go look up right now on YouTube Ain't Nothing Like the Old School by Tupac. It is such a glorious celebration of classic hip-hop, of classic hip-hop artists, of the culture of New York hip-hop. You look at how he rocked with Tretch. You look at how much he loved being in New York, how much he celebrated East Coast hip-hop before the quad shooting. So when you look at his West Coast for life vibe, Don't make the mistake of trying to say, oh, well, he was just one of these ignorant rappers from the West who didn't know where hip hop was from. I hate when y'all say that, bro. We know where hip hop is from. Because we make it out here too, dog. I got love for the Bronx. I got love for Brooklyn. I got love for Staten Island. I'm from the Bay, though. (laughs) I am, man. You know what I'm saying? Straight up. Mission Street, Dolores Park, where I see my first lowrider bikes, dog. Lowrider cars. Ah, 25th and Mission. Taqueria. White building with the black gate. 25th. Come on, man. We know what we're doing out here out west, bro. First hip-hop shows I went to was in Oakland and San Francisco, bro. We are, our, our hip hop matters too. That's why nobody liked the East Coast no more. Notice how every, every region that rose up, the East Coast, there was always some artist or some dumbass journalist always talking crazy, bro. So what I need you to understand is that all the reading that he had done before prison and after prison gave Tupac the time and the space and the creative juice to go in any direction he wanted. Not only did he write heavy in jail, he wrote heavier when he got out. See, this is one of the things people do not like to admit about Tupac. I'm talking about rappers from way back and rappers right now. Nobody could keep up with his work ethic, his planning, his ability to go super deep into a topic and then go real street. And be authentic on both sides of that coin. It was all from the refinement of Machiavelli. It was all from what Machiavelli gave him. An inspiration of his original essence and his energy. Now, he was the Machiavelli of modern times. You know, I'm a big believer in in one thing. That 
People will always talk trash about you. I guarantee you right now, there's some people that are not checking for me. There are some people I can tell you right now that have taken open steps to undermine me personally and professionally. Real steps. But you know what? The universe never denies your real work done. If someone says that you're weak and you don't like that, and so every day you do 20 push-ups and they convince other people, yeah, you know what? Steve is real weak. But if Steve keeps doing push-ups every day, eventually they're going to know that that person talking crazy is just talking shit because they're because he's not weak. Do you see him, bro? He's not weak. That fool bear hugged me and almost threw me in a trash can in the hallway. Steve is actually hella strong. The universe does not deny your real work. He was out writing people. He was out producing people. He was delivering albums on a large scale. And there's a book called Attacking Chess. If you love uh, chess, you should get the book Attacking Chess by Josh Waitzkin. And there's one part, I'm forgetting the exact quote because I don't have the book in front of me. But at one point he says, you know, at a certain point of competition, it is not enough to think you are better. You have to be better. Now, see, a statement like that will rattle you. If you're not really about self-improvement, if you just want to hear something from your favorite self-help guru and run out into the street with your hands in the air, shaking your fist at the at the sun. Yeah. No, you got to be better. And that takes work. Pac did the work to be better. And that's why he's a legend on a scale that none of them will ever reach. And so now the apex of his use of Machiavellian thought and strategy is when he comes across faith at the hotel lobby. The Tupac scandal with faith, like that was pure Machiavellian tactic. Machiavelli was not above lying. And Pac understood that in American media, especially, especially hip hop media, that perception is more important than truth. That photo of him with his with his hand around her, look at his eyes in that pic, man. He knows what it means to have that photo. He knows. Now, whether or not he did anything with faith, whether or not they had a romantic relationship or any sexual whatnot, I have no opinion. I don't care, actually. It was about the disruption. Because that's how we opened up on Hit Em Up. And everyone says that picture drove big nuts. That it drove big nuts. That it made the East Coast look soft. That it made it seem like West Coast dudes. Man, I actually kind of sometimes feel bad for Faith. Because I don't know whether she really got with him or not. But it didn't matter because she was always going to be branded like that. She was always going to be the reason Big look whack. Like Big didn't have his game tight. Like, man, it's a cold game out here. And this is why having people especially when you're in a relationship who are dedicated to making sure that their loyalty doesn't just 
appear real, but is real, is crucial. It's crucial, right? But, you know, they say all is fair in love and war. So there you go. So he works on a seven-day theory. All right? He had had everything in order according to plan for the seven-day theory before he died. Then he got inspired to be like, yo, I'm going to start calling myself Machiavelli, right? That's how it all comes together, right? Don Caluminati, seven-day theory. Despite the fake rumors about why it had a title and people had a whole bunch of Masonic this and whatever, it was pretty simple. Basically, he did the album in seven days during the first week of August in 1996. The lyrics were written and recorded in only three days, and then it took an additional four days for mixing. These are among the very last songs that he recorded before he got killed on September 7th, 1996. And the album was originally due for release in March of 1997, but due to his death, Suge Knight pushed it up. Remember what Tupac said in the beginning, right? When he went to jail, that he went to jail largely because he was around a bunch of people that he shouldn't have been around. Now pay attention to Machiavelli. The first method for estimating the intelligence of a ruler is to look at the men he has around them. Tupac was recording all of this stuff because he wanted to get off death row. Remember, he had been using the mirror strategy to keep Suge at bay so he could just do his recording and not have Suge suspect him of anything. In the meantime, he's trying to get his money up He's trying to get off the row because remember, he wouldn't let any of his friends get on death row because he wanted to look out for them in a way that he knew Suge never would. I personally believe that Tupac's long-term strategy between the East and West Coast polarity was a greater goal of peace, but he needed to maximize the polarity, make it so fever pitch that everybody would want peace without him having to be the guy to take the MLK looking route. But sadly, he had few mentors around him because he was so brilliant. And it makes sense. You know, the money and the power, you know what I mean? Uh, Has everybody want to be around you? His personality was magnetic for those of you that ever were lucky enough to meet him. You know that. But he needed more than a book to make out the best way to do it. And that's why sometimes being, well, almost all the time, being the smartest dude in your crew is the worst thing because you don't have other smart dudes helping you see things you can't see. He had skills and ideas way beyond so many of the people around him. He had a vision beyond them. And so this is why, you know, he had to make sure he got all his albums in and done so that Suge wouldn't be bitter at him for wanting to leave death row. But it's crazy to come full circle that the same thing that got him in prison the first time, lack of credible men in his circle who he could trust, men of integrity and intelligence, is the same thing that got him uh, killed down the line. The crazy thing about most strategic laws is that they are very unforgiving. So if you violate them, you just die or your company dies or whatever. You know, any pilot seeking to fly can die super quick, neglecting just one law of flying. Because what happens? It crashes. It's unforgiving. Flying don't work like that. 
War doesn't work like that. And when you start dealing with street drama and money, strategic, strategic mistakes, they cost you. They cost you. So also remember that Machiavelli said, everyone sees what you appear to be, but few see who you are. Check this line from Tupac. They're backwards. I make tracks burst whenever I rap. Attack words being known to explode on contact at stream map times. Blinded by my passion and fury. Look at me laughing at my competition, flashing my jewelry. You'd stay silent if you niggas knew me. Truly effective. You see, he's telling you. Everything you see isn't everything that I am. That's straight out of the prince. He couldn't afford to be seen as emotional as he was. He couldn't afford to be seen as wanting the best. He couldn't afford it. And so this really hurt him. This really hurt him as a man, as a human being, because Nobody respects the sensitive dude. And Pac was a sensitive dude. Nobody respects the guy who comes from the West and gives loves to the East and songs like, ain't nothing like the old school. Nobody from the East Coast even quotes him in that song. And at the same time, nobody from the East has ever made a song celebrating West Coast hip hop or Southern hip hop because they think it's all about them. Sociologists know that all literary cultures around the globe first started with a strong oral culture. Today's books on hip-hop culture and from hip-hop culture are a complete industry within themselves. Tupac remains at the top of the list when it comes to the books that kids want to read. His poems and books about his music, his childhood, his life before he died. All of this makes his legend greater day by day. Because of him and his classic love for literature of all sorts. Black power literature, but Niccolo Machiavelli, he brings the importance of strategy and the art of war straight into hip hop, straight into hip hop. And now the words and the lifestyle and the knowledge of Niccolo Machiavelli of Niccolo Machiavelli is being brought straight into the hood. Not because Stanford and UC Berkeley and Harvard want people to know, but because Tupac wants you to know who Machiavelli is. Tupac wants you to know about the Panthers, about the black arts movement, about how all the gangs should just put their guns down and unite. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful, man. So when you look at Jay-Z's Decoded, when you look at the Tao of Wu, when you look at Can't Stop, Won't Stop, when you look at Bobby Bruce in the Bronx, The Secrets of Hip Hop Chess, and you should buy all of them books, I'm not playing, and all the other books that are out there on hip hop, I mean, there's so many beautiful ones, right? But that's because oral cultures give birth to literate cultures. And that's why it always made me angry, even in my youth, when they would talk about how ignorant rap is, about how ignorant hip hop is. Because as someone who was inside, and if you're from my generation or if you're in it now, you know how intelligent it is. You know how much uh, inspiration for your day-to-day comes from this. You know how much these rappers inspire you to go read books, man. 
At the end of the day, Tupac Shakur is one of the most powerful icons in hip-hop. And I believe if we can do anything uh, with his legacy, if we share his love of reading, we have done all of the hip-hop youth a great service. You know, especially, though, his work with Nicky Lowe Machiavelli. And that is how you go from Machiavelli to Machiavelli in the mind of Tupac Shakur. Keep in mind that everything I told you about this, like the strategies that I see him use, they don't come from any conversations that I had with him. They come from my observation of his actions only. Doesn't come from him being like, yo, Deez, this is what I'm trying to do right now. No, it comes from my observation of his actions. That's it. I hope that this makes sense to you. I hope you get the prints. I hope you read uh, his Machiavelli's piece on Castruccio Castracani of Luca. Man, that is such a good piece. I actually like the prints, but I feel like a lot of young people won't like it. It's got a lot of flowery, long winded language in it you have to be a disciplined reader to get through it if you think that your kids or your teenager or if you yourself have the discipline to to soak it in you should definitely soak up the prints there's no question but there's other things that Machiavelli has written that I think are fantastic the prince just isn't my favorite it's impactful but it's, it's not my favorite thank you for listening and now let's close this out All right, y'all. Thank you for tuning in to Bishop Chronicles. Please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a positive comment. Please go sign up on uh, Spotify and go sign up on Mixcloud. Please leave positive comments on Mixcloud as well. I appreciate you. I thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that we were able to kick some good science to you. I hope you understand what I was saying about Tupac. Go get, go get the prints. All right. Go read Castruccio Castracani of Luca by Niccolo Machiavelli. All right. Take it in. Soak the game in. Stay strong. I am with you. The main thing I want you to know, I hope you understand that when I do these podcasts and when I share this information with you, that like I am not trying to be simply some person who motivates you to go work out right now. I hope that happens. But that's not all I'm trying to be. I hope that when you hear about the books that I'm reading and the music that I listen to, that it exposes you to some new aspects of chill hop, some new aspects of hip hop, some new aspects of whatever we're talking about in music. All right. I hope that when I tell you the teas that I drink, ooh, I'll tell you right now, the tea that I'm drinking right now is I'm mixing tea Kuan Yin with green tea and lemon juice to help cut weight. I saw a study that said, Some people said, oh, you should drink tea Kuan Yin. Other people said you should drink green tea. And what they discovered through the study was that you need to drink both. And that's how you lose the most weight. Okay? So that's what I'm I'm drinking to cut weight. You can get tea Kuan Yin and green tea at almost any Chinese market you can find. I mean, you can go, like I said, to like Red Blossom Tea in San Francisco, which is, I think, at 831 Grant Street and, and get the high quality stuff. Or you can go to whatever Chinese market you can find. Tea Kuan Yin and green tea. With lemon juice, okay? I just laced you, player. Yes. My point is this. 
whatever I give to you, I'm not trying to be like your self-help guru. And I'm not trying to be someone who um, is the person you lean on for understanding. What I'm trying to do is give you the tools for your own understanding. I'm trying to give you tools for your own understanding so that you don't need me, so that you know that everything that I'm pointing you toward is something truly beautiful inside yourself. That's why I tell you when I feel sad and I don't feel like working out. That's why I tell you when I was depressed and what I did about it, because I don't want you to think that I'm super special. I'm not super special. I'm not. I'm just someone who cares about you. And at the end of the day, someone asked me, they said, you know, why, why do you work with all these young people and all these kids? And why, why do you do that? You know what I said? I said, when I was young, I was rebellious. I didn't listen to nobody. I had and have a good dad. He's not perfect, but he's a really good dad. He was the best man at my wedding. You know, few people choose their dad to be the best man at their wedding. But when I was young, I was really rebellious and I needed someone who was young to pull me aside, slap me up and tell me to act right, to get my homework done, to exercise, to defend myself against these punk ass marks who was talking shit. All right. To get me to read about things that had nothing to do with school so that I would stay inspired. And so I do what I do because I wish for them, I'm trying to be the friend that I wish I had when I was young. I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to be the friend and mentor that I wish I had when I was young. That's the only reason I do it. I don't do it pretending to be a leader. I don't tend it, I don't do it trying to, to, to be some type of guru for you. Your guru is in the mirror. Your motivational coach is in the mirror. Understand that. I'm just giving you the tools, hopefully, so you can find that voice in yourself, so you can find that authentic self, and you can go be whatever you want. That's what I want you to be, whatever you want. People have always said, oh, you're trying to make people be MMA people and chess people. Oh, you're trying to make people be uh, like rap chess people or whatever. No, I am trying to use music, chess, and martial arts as tools for people to go inside themselves and figure out who they are and then go strategically be whatever they want. That's why I get along with so many people. People trip out. They'd be like, yo, you cool with that dude? He seems hella country. Oh, you cool with that dude? Seems like he might bang. Oh, you cool with her? She seems like she might be kind of sketch. Oh, you cool with her? She seems like she's kind of uppity. I get along with everybody because I think at the end of the day, when most people be around me, they understand that I genuinely want good for you. Whoever you are, I want good for you. Thank you for listening to the Bishop Chronicles. Thank you for listening to Side Life Radio. Thank you for coming to farsidetv.com. Okay? Follow your boy at Real Hip Hop Chess. Let's keep building. Let's stay strong through this month. I got some big plans for Black History Month on this podcast. It's going to be wild. It's going to be good. All right? Stay strong, stay fit, stay healthy, go be great. Peace. Teacher, what star is that? You are now listening to the
Your master 